So first of all, Genesis 3.16 says, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now we go to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then going down to verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When we lived in... Guadalajara, Mexico, we went to a wedding once at a Roman Catholic Church. It was of a young couple that we knew, and we were listening to the wedding and uh, the ceremony, and the priest who performed the wedding began to talk about the stages of marriage. And with great authority, he talked about, well, marriage goes through this stage and this stage and this stage, and it was very painful to listen to this for two reasons. One is because it was very clear that he had no idea what he was talking about, but he had just read a book, and he was just repeating the stages he found in that book. And the other thing that was so painful is that 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 book must have been very negative about marriage, because it was a very depressing sort of walking through the stages, and I thought, oh, this poor couple, if they think that's what's going to happen, inevitably, they're going to be thinking twice about getting married. Now, I have to say, today, I'm sympathetic with that priest, because I'm going to be preaching about being a wife. And you might justly say to me, Larry, you have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, I might, uh, you might think that I'm in that same position as that, that priest. Um, however, um, and you would be right, of course, experientially. Um, however, I'm not going to base what I say on some book. My effort will be to base what I say on the scripture, uh, and so it doesn't come as my advice or my authority, but rather it's the scripture. And at the same time, I have been married for 35 years, so I have lived very closely with a wife for these last 35 years, and I've done counseling, pastoral counseling of countless, countless couples over the decades. Now... I read a text from the Old Testament and I read a text from the New Testament. And to see how these two texts fit together, it may be helpful to distinguish among these three ideas. Physiology, pathology, and the healing arts. I was talking once with a a physiology professor at a med school, and he said, these med students, they want to know about pathology, but in order to understand pathology, they need to understand physiology first. 
and I didn't really understand exactly what he was saying. I said, well, explain that to him. And he said, well, physiology is the proper function, the proper function of the body parts. So you need to understand how everything in the body is designed to function. It is supposed to function when everything is going well. And until you understand that, you will not understand pathology, which is when disease enters those body parts and causes them to function in a way that is not correct. And then, once you understand how they should function, physiology, how they are functioning, racked by diseased pathology, then you can apply the healing arts, whatever those healing arts might be, to try to restore as much as possible. It may not be possible to recover the full use, the full proper use, but to restore as much as possible the proper functioning of those body parts. So what are we doing? Last week, we did physiology. Last week we looked at the creation of the woman and the beginning of marriage. We saw how it is supposed to function. And if you miss that, this is not recommending my sermon, but I would just recommend that you go back and look at that text at least because that's the proper functioning. And we won't understand the misfiring, the the improper function, if we don't understand how it's supposed to function in the beginning. Now, what we're going to do today is look at the other two. We're going to look at pathology, the disease that entered into marriage, and then we're going to look at the first step, at least, of applying healing arts to marriage and see how Christ restores at least substantially the proper functioning of marriage. So, going back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Now, the context is this. Most of you know the context. Last week, we left the couple. They were ruling the world together. And they were enjoying their relationship with God. And they were enjoying their relationship with each other. That's how we left the couple last week. In the next chapter, chapter 3 of Genesis... Both of them disobeyed the only recorded prohibition that God had given them. And that is, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they both ate. And so what they did was, they immediately tried to hide their bodies from each other. They were all of a sudden ashamed of their nakedness, and they tried to hide themselves from God. But God sought them out. In His mercy, He sought them out, and He said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And then they began to blame shift. The man blamed the woman and indirectly blamed God, the woman that you gave to me. And then the woman blamed the serpent. And then God dealt with each of these in reverse order. He dealt with the serpent. He dealt with the woman. He dealt with the man. And so the woman, he said this, verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now the curse was on the serpent. The curse was not of the woman. It was of her labor, her childbearing labor. And then the curse on the man was of his labor as well, in a different sense, his work. And there's a curious, curious statement here at the end of it. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. In the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Old Testament, this word desire appears only three times. It appears here, it appears in Genesis 4, 7, and it appears also in Ecclesiastes, I'm sorry, in Song of Songs 7, 10. 
Now, Song of Songs, you know, is a romantic poetry. And so what we find it means there is desire for intimacy. And so in, in Song of Songs, it's a positive thing. It's a positive desire. And there may be something that here, the desire for intimacy, but I want you to turn over and look at Genesis 4-7. Genesis 4-7, the only other instance of this. And here the situation is Cain and Abel. And Cain is upset because his sacrifice wasn't accepted by God. And God says to him in verse 7, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And this is almost exactly the same words that are told to the woman. Your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so, because the, the, the comparison here is between desire and ruling, and because of the parallel between Genesis 3.16 and Genesis 4.7, which comes right after it, it looks like this desire is not the positive desire for intimacy, but the desire to control. Your desire will be to control your husband, but... He will rule over you. This is the introduction of disease into the marriage. This is the introduction of pathology so that this partnership is no longer functioning as a partnership but as a competition with each one trying to dominate and rule over the other one. Now, in this competition, the man has a, an advantage. And that is... The man is physically stronger. And so that puts the woman and women in general in a vulnerable position in this world. They can be dominated, physically dominated by men who are physically stronger. And so women have had to develop other methods in order to try to control men and particularly their husbands. And we find that in marriage when it is pathological. That is, when it is diseased. And every marriage, every marriage since sin entered the world has something of this. But our whole desire here is to apply the healing arts of Christ so that that is mitigated. So this has plagued, this unhealthy competition for control, for dominance, this has plagued marriage since this first marriage went awry. And in some cases, it becomes what we call pathological and what we call abusive even. Now that's the, that's the pathology. But now we go to the healing arts. In Ephesians chapter 5, we have this instruction about how to walk, how to live. And then in verse 18, we have this, this instruction, be filled with the Spirit. And that is, be being filled constantly with the Spirit. Be, be being filled with the Spirit. And then the, the, uh, it goes on here to talk about five manifestations. If someone is being filled constantly with the Holy Spirit, there are five manifestations of that filling. There are others, but the five that are mentioned here in, in verses 19 and following, and you can find these, they end in I-N-G, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing 
making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the fifth manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit is submitting to one another out of fear of Christ. And that submitting to one another sets up a whole digression in which which uh, Paul, the author, applies that idea of submission to six different groups. Six different groups. He addresses women, or rather wives and husbands. He addresses children and parents. He addresses slaves and masters. And um, in these, in some ways, in some ways, um, this this instruction sounds traditional. Um, it, it, it sounds traditional. So if it would come into a, a typical Roman household of the day, half of it would sound traditional. Half of it would sound traditional. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. And that would not have shaken anybody up too much. But the radical and subversive nature of this instruction is that it doesn't simply apply to wives and to children and to slaves. It applies to husbands and to parents and to masters. And that's the the radical introduction here and the transformation that Christianity brings to all of these relationships. And what's that? You see, in, in the day, the husbands would have had privileges and the wives would have had responsibilities. The children would have had responsibilities. The, the parents would have had privileges. The masters would have had privileges. And the, the slaves would have had responsibilities. But now he says... All six of you have submission, have submitting activities for which you are responsible. And so that's the the nature here, the radical nature. So you can imagine the the husband's listening and they're saying, uh, they're reading along the letter. Wives, submit to your husbands. And the husbands are, yes, did you hear that? And then Paul turns to them and says, husbands. And he gives them responsibilities. They say, "Whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Well, we're the ones with the privileges here. And Paul says, no, you submit as well. You submit to Christ because all of these are submission to Christ. Every one of these activities is submission to Christ. Now, look at this, uh, how this goes. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We have toned this down a bit in our, our versions, not, not wrongly, but, but perhaps if we go back to what the, the, the normal translation of this word, it's a little more arresting for us. That is, submitting to one another out of fear, fear of Christ. Now, we usually think of fear as being a bad thing. Fear of bodily harm, fear of death, fear of loss, and of course there are those fears. But fear in the Bible is often a positive thing. It is recognizing one who is mighty. And maybe we could get at this, get at this in our language, if we could go back and recover the older use of awe. Now, everything's awesome these days, right? Um, the pizza was awesome, the, that, that car is awesome, that, that slam dunk was awesome, but, but awe used to mean awe-inspiring. Something that would leave you trembling or shaking because it was so amazing. Maybe you've had that sort of experience. I did a few months ago, when Tropical Storm Ada came through, I did what, well, what Floridians tend to do. I went to the beach to see it. 
when it was as close as it could get here, I wanted to see the ocean as it was being stirred up, and I wanted to feel the wind, so I went out on the beach almost by myself. It was, it was dark, and the wind was whipping, and I, it was painful because I was getting sandblasted. I should have covered all of my body parts, but so I went down to the right where it, the, the ocean meets the land, and, and I stood there in the, in the water in, up to my calves or something, and I just I listened to the, the waves crashing, and, and the wind was howling. And it was exhilarating, and I began to shout at the, the top of my lungs because I, I realized that no one could hear me, even if they were standing almost next to me. It was so loud. And then I began to sing, Then sings my soul, my Savior unto thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. That's the loudest I've ever sung in public, knowing that no one could possibly hear me. And then I had a couple other emotions. One was sadness. Because I realized that that experience that was so exhilarating for me had not been exhilarating for Central America. And then I had another experience, and that was fear. I was afraid. I wasn't afraid for my life. I did not feel like I was in danger. I did not feel like the waves were going to sweep me out because I wasn't far enough out for that to happen. I was afraid because it was it was awesome. It, it, was, it was overwhelmingly impressive. So I was afraid. Submitting to one another out of awe of Christ. Stand in awe of Christ. And that will put all of your relationships where they should be. And, and if you hear nothing else, that is how we need to fix the pathology of all our relationships. By starting with that one relationship, by standing in awe of Christ, in fear of Christ. Now, he goes on and speaks first to wives and talks about the transformation of wives in verses 22 and to 24. And then he sums it up in verse 33. And by the way, husbands, you don't need to listen to this part unless it is to have material to pray for your wives. Because this is not for you, this is for them. And he says, picking up this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, this is treating wives as, as agents. Uh, agents who are able to render willing obedience to Christ. And rendering willing obedience to Christ in this relationship will look like submitting to their husbands. Now, what is submitting? Submitting is to place oneself under someone's authority and responsibility. That's what it is. It's a voluntary act of placing oneself under someone's authority and responsibility. And it does not mean, I hope you understand from last week, it does not mean inferiority, because we saw last week, man and woman were created as partners, as equals. And also, it does not mean, uh, say anything about women's place in society. It's talking about one relationship. It's talking about marriage. And in that relationship, there is this structure but it doesn't say what women can or cannot do in society. We have our newest Supreme Court justice who was either praised or vilified because she said at some point that was recorded that in the marriage she submits to her husband. And um, 
but her husband, as a citizen of the United States, submits to her decisions as a Supreme Court justice. But in the marriage, there's one relationship. As a citizen, there's another relationship. And it's interesting, it's interesting to note that in Luke 2.51, this verse is applied to Jesus himself. Now, who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. Does he need to submit to anyone except his his mutual submission in the in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it says here that Jesus, the same word, placed himself under the authority and responsibility of Joseph and Mary. He submitted himself to them. Does that mean he's inferior to them? I think you know the answer to that. On the contrary, no. But as he was placed in that particular relationship of family, his role was to submit himself to Joseph and Mary. Now, um, this, this idea of submission is, has various purposes. And by the way, if you ask me, how does this play out? Does this mean every couple is going to have to work out what that means? I'm not going to give you a rule, and neither does Paul, of, well, wives have to do this all the time, or they can't do this, or that. No. And when it gets to that, there's probably something wrong in the marriage itself. The partnership is broken down if it, if it gets, to, gets to what can or what can't uh, too often. But, but I want you to notice something here. Do you remember the pathology? The pathology was women are vulnerable in this world because they are generally smaller and weaker physically, and so men can dominate them, and they can dominate them for bad purposes. And so, the idea of marriage is, in order not to be dominated by any other man, in order not to submit to any other man, the wife submits to one man, one man who is pledged to give his life for her. You see, that's a beautiful arrangement. That is not, that is not oppressive. That is a protection for the wife. It's saying you don't need to submit to any other man in the world and you don't need to be subjected to their forceful submission of you. And so God is providing to married women one man to whom they voluntarily submit so that they won't have to submit to any other man in the world. Now what's the explanation for this arrangement? Verse 23 For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. That's the explanation. There is a a role playing here of husbands and of wives. And in this role playing, the wives play the role of the church. And as we'll see next week, the husbands play the role toward their wives of Christ. And so... Uh, the role that Christ has with the church, he is the head of the church, and the husband is the head of the wife. Now, what does that mean? We'll see more of what that means next week. We'll see more of what that means next week. But there's a suggestion here about what that means. Because there's this statement here that doesn't really go with the flow. And it's an unusual statement that never appears anywhere else in the New Testament. And says, the church... His body, his body, and that is an image that Paul uses constantly. He probably invented it. And then it says, and is himself its Savior. That's the only time where it ever says in New Testament that Christ is the Savior of the body. And what's this getting at? 
it doesn't seem to be pointing that the, the husband is in some way the savior of the wife. That, that, that parallel breaks down there. What it seems to be doing is saying, here's a suggestion, here's a preview of coming attractions. He's the head, but what does the head do? The head gives himself for his bride. And that's a, a preview. So before you guys get too carried away with this idea of being the head... Um, Look at how Christ is the head of the body. More on that next week. And then verse 24. Verse 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And here's the, the comparison. The application, as the church submits to Christ, so should wives submit to their husbands in all things. Now, of course, people can raise very legitimate questions. What about if the husband requires something that is, that is unlawful or unbiblical? Of course not. Of course not. There are limits, of course, to the husband's uh, authority here. But the, in general, the application is, and he's speaking of Christian marriage here, a Christian man and a Christian woman, and there, there are, of course, other relationships that are not uh, both Christians, and those are addressed in other parts of Scripture. But this comparison signals something immediately. It signals this, a radical shift away from the ideas of dominion and exploitation. Because what does, the, what does the church get out of submitting to Christ? Does it get abused and exploited and denigrated? On the contrary, what happens when the church submits to Christ, the church is blessed, the church benefits, the church gets exalted. And so we see that that this structure is to undo the pathology of that that competition for control. And this idea prepares the way for the longer discussion of the Christian husband that emphasizes that the wife's submission is for her good. We've already seen how it's for her protection. And then we'll also see that it is for her good, that it is for her flourishing, that it is for her benefit, that it is for her blessing. And, in addition, it contributes to a harmonious marriage. Remember, in Genesis, your desire will be to control your husband. In this part of it, that's taken away. But your husband will rule over you. Next week we'll see how that is taken away and turned into a different relationship, a different a relationship of love. Now, um, my daughter, Natalia, uh, gave me permission to tell you about this conversation. And we have these, these kind of biblical interpretation, theological, societal conversations. And as you know, she's... She's uh, studied, and she's an attorney, and so she likes to present her case sometimes as well. And, and she said, Dad, she said, I have trouble. I have trouble with this idea of the wife submitting to her husband. But she said, I've been thinking about this. And she loves Latin dancing. And she said, Dad, you know, when, when I'm dancing, um, I realize that... When the, the man who leads the dance and leads the woman in the dance, when he leads well, it's the woman who shines. And that's how it works, isn't it? And she said, so if I can see it that way, she said, I can, I can get this idea of submission. Now, how would it work? We have some dancers here. How would it work if the man leads and the woman says, no, 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 buddy. Forget it. Even Stephen here, we're both going to try to lead this dance. Would the woman shine? Would the man shine? 
No. They would be locked in a competition to see who could outdo the other. But when, when a dancing partner, when, the, when the, the man leads well, we look at the couple and on whom are we focused? Who transfixes us? It's generally the woman. Because she shines, she flourishes, she's free. She's able to do all sorts of amazing things as she's supported by that leadership. And so I thought, well, that's a really good illustration. I like that. I like that. So my daughter taught me something there, or at least gave me a a beautiful illustration about how this is supposed to work. Now, in the concluding summary here, and I jumped over the man's part, although I couldn't help but mentioning some aspects of it, In the the concluding summary, it's interesting because it seems kind of bland. We'll get to that next week on the man's part. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You remember the, the, the word up in verse 21, reverence for Christ? And we said it's actually fear. Well, here that word is again, and it's translated differently again. And, uh, but, but it is, as I think we should translate, but understand what it means, and let the wife see that she fears her husband. Now that, that sounds unpalatable to us because we usually think of fear in terms of dominance and in terms of, in terms of harm that could be caused. And then we read verses like in 1 John 4, I think it's uh, 10 or it's 18, where, I think it's 18, where, where uh, if anyone fears that love is not perfected and perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment, and that's certainly the case in our relationship with God, that He casts out all fear because if Christ has given His life for us to forgive us of our sins and we've trusted in Him, we do not fear punishment from God. But the Scripture continues us to, to call us to fear God. Not because of harm, not because He's against us, not because He punishes us, but because He's awesome. And so if we try to use that word again here, how does this sound? Let the wife see that she stands in awe of her husband. I love it. I love it when wives come to me and they tell me about their husbands and they say, my husband is awesome. That's the idea here. Now, next week we're going to see how the husbands can be awesome. But for now, we leave it at this. Wives, stand in awe of your husbands and see how awesome they can become. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for the fact that You have remedied that which we messed up. You gave marriage to humanity and humanity messed it up along with everything else. But we thank You that You didn't leave us in that pathology. But You gave us a whole new model for marriage which reflects the relationship between Christ and His beloved church. And today we've looked at part of that. We've looked at the the wife submitting to her husband and we looked at Christ being in favor of the church and the submitting the church submitting to Christ and i do want to pray for the wives present and future wives that you would enable wives to to play this role well so that they might show forth the glory of of Christ and the church and so that they might 
respect their husbands and their husbands might might be worthy of that awe in which the wives stand of them. We do pray, O God, for spirit-filled wives, for spirit-filled marriages. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.